and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, the leader of this episode. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Me. I'm Hamish, and I'm the leader of this episode of uh, Hitting Play uh, with my guest, Scott. Uh, as we all know, well, I, you know Scott, I, what? I, I am the leader of this episode, and joining me, Scott, Scott, Scott step aside here. Uh, it's me, Hamish, you know me, the, the main one here. I'm the leader of this episode of uh, Hitting Play. Joining, you may know... What? Joining me... What? Joining uh, me is Hamish. I'm Scott. Scott don't, I wouldn't Joining believe me. this at all, Scott. I think you're just making a fool of yourself. But here's the thing: I'm the leader of this episode I, of Hitting Play. Uh, um, as we all know, it's a it's a thing that I, mean, I just don't me, want you to feel bad about leader, it. But I Scott, no, I am. I uh, don't listen to him. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to him. I am Scott, the leader of this episode, and joining me is Hamish. All right, just say hello. I'm equally saying hello, like right, you fine. as a host. Saying hello. We're co-leaders, all right? But I'm more co than you. 4951. <laughs> all right, so for this episode of the podcast, we continue our look at Marvel cartoons from the 90s, and we watched an episode of what has been described as the worst Marvel animated series ever created. Avengers, united they stand. And the best one is Avengers, Earth's Money's Heroes. Well, that came much, much later. We're focused on the 90s. The episode that we watched for this episode of the podcast was called Command Decision. It was written by legendary comic book writer Len Wein, and it originally aired on Fox's Fox Kids block the morning of December 11th, 1999. Very close to Y2K and the new millennium, as Will Smith brought joy to our hearts. Yeah, and, you know, everyone who was brought up in this time uh, are known as millennials. Yeah. He welcomed us to Miami. Yeah. You know, just talking about Len Wein, seeing his name here, man, this was quite the surprise. Uh, for those that don't know, he's also the co-creator of Wolverine. He was the writer of Giant Size X-Men number one, which was the introduction of the all-new, all-different X-Men that included uh, Storm, Colossus, Nightcrawler. Co-creator of those iconic characters, but enough about great superhero teams. Let's talk about this show. It, uh, it really shows you where the Avengers were in terms of popularity back in the 90s. On this podcast, we've been going through a lot of these cartoons. We haven't gone through all of them yet, but uh, Spider-Man and X-Men, they had very popular animated series. Spider-Man had continuing adventures in Spider-Man Unlimited. Iron Man and Fantastic Four had two seasons each of their series that aired as a block. See previous episodes. The Incredible Hulk had two seasons as well. Uh, the Silver Surfer had his own series for a season, which was a, a great show. But now, at this point, the 90s were coming to a close. Marvel finally gave an animated series to one of its original flagship teams, the Avengers. So we get this series called Avengers, or depending on where you are, Avengers United They Stand. This series lasted only one 13-episode season, making its debut on October 30th, 1999, and ending on February 26, 2000. So all told, this is the eighth and final series of the Marvel Animated Universe. There wouldn't be another cartoon with Marvel superheroes until X-Men Evolution in November of 2000, and that setting wasn't tied to any of the cartoons that came before it. So, you know, they really moved on from that point. But uh, Hamish, did you ever watch Avengers United They Stand? Yes, yes I did. I do own some of the toys. Do you really? You didn't get the toys? No. Well, we'll get we'll get into it. We'll t we'll talk a little more about the tie-ins to this thing. Because like I remember this coming out. Uh, it was on. It was still called Cheese TV at the time. I'm trying to remember. Mm. Either it was Toasted TV or Cheese TV. It was a as a, um, a morning show. 
Sounds delicious. <laughs> it's funny, it went from cheese TV to toasted TV. <laughs> Basically, whatever food-related item. But yeah, it was, a, it was a morning show for us. Here's the thing. Uh, I thought the show was a lot better <laughs> than what I remember it to be. <laughs> this is this is the same conclusion I came up to when um, I was watching... If you ever watched the show years ago, uh, The Invisible Man, this live-action show called The Invisible Man. No, no. Uh, I thought that show was the best show. <laughs> and then I watched a recent episode of the last episode, and I was like, yeah, this is not as good as I remember it. But again... I, I would hold that show over this show. Um, no, yeah, I remember watching this. And yeah, it, it was a weird time because this is before the movies kind of came into form, you know, before the Marvel Phase 1 situation. So, it was interesting because in the comic books, they were doing whatever they like and making new ideas and doing things. I mean, I'd say the comic books are kind of now being colored by the movies, but this is them just kind of going, oh, let's try this. And, you know, it's a new team of Avengers led by Ant-Man. Yes. Which, interesting choice. But I can understand why... Um, they went with this... If you look at the pedigree of the show, right? You know, look at how the X-Men got reformed. This is kind of like them doing the same thing. Where it's like, hey, let's try doing the Avengers in the same way as the X-Men, but like reforming it and doing this. And for me as a kid at the time, yeah, I didn't mind it. I Again, they're doing the typical thing of... Because it's a Fox Kids show, and they are also showing, um, I believe, Power Rangers and a bunch of other shows. It really took a lot of those anime slash Power Ranger things. <laughs> it tried. It tried. Yeah. <laughs> those, those kind of like, you know, giving them ultimate, like, was it, they always have their suits, but then they have their power suits or power mm. armor. And then there's that whole tooling up sequence or the power up sequence, whatever you <sighs> call it, which is basically just there to, you know, extend the time of the episode. Yeah. And also all the characters got new, new cool outfits, you know, especially Hawkeye, who's, unfortunately, his outfit was dragged over into the main comic book continuity. It's pretty bad. <laughs> which is a problem, because if you look at the outfit, it's, it's very gaudy. Yes. It's a gaudy bad costume but no they decided like oh let's pull this costume over into the um comic books but they also did that with spider-man for ultimate spider-man mm-hmm. spider-man unlimited not ultimate spider-man uh, because that was what going on at the same time and that was where he goes off to you know another plane of reality uh and he has you know his new techno suit <laughs> Which is more or less because they're trying to keep up with Batman Beyond, because Batman had, like, you know, a young, fresh, young Batman from the future. But yeah, like, that's why Spider-Man, his outfit, had it changed. Because in the comics, I do actually have the comic where his costume changed. For us, a very brief period. <laughs> Basically, it's just so they go, like, hey, look, here's the costume, guys. And now it's gone. But um, Hawkeye, on the other hand, ugh, they kept that <laughs> costume. But yeah, my, my experience is being in high school, watching this and being hyped about it and uh, buying a couple of the toys. Now, me personally, I remember this show being advertised. Uh, like you, I was like high school age, and I had watched Spider-Man and X-Men growing up because they started back in like 1992. It was already 2000 now. I didn't care to watch it at all. I had never seen an episode of it. I saw the toys in the store, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the toys. Didn't want any of them. And as an X-Men fan, I really didn't care for the Avengers that much. I didn't, you know... It just, not that I dislike the characters, but they weren't my primary focus. I'd much more rather see X-Men and Spider-Man. You know, this just wasn't my thing, and watching it for this episode was the very first time that I saw it. Now, in previous episodes of the podcast, we praised the Marvel cartoons because, you know, they frequently crossed over with one another, and they were all pretty much taking place within the same universe at the same time. Not quite the case with the series. Uh, Avengers United They Stand was said to be about 25 years in the future, which, hey, by the way, that's only five years now. 
This was because, as you mentioned, Batman Beyond, huge influence on this show. You know, it was a popular series that just came out. It took a character we knew and it made it more modern or, you know, futuristic. And uh, so this change of setting was an attempt to capitalize on its success. And so we get battle armor and lasers and technology. Many voice actors from the X-Men series worked on Avengers, because as I'm sure you know, Tigra has pretty much the same voice as Rogue. Mm. So it was said that there was a chance that the X-Men could have appeared if the series continued. There's even like a picture of Beast in one episode, and I think a copy of the Daily Bugle in another episode, because newspapers are in the future. But uh, considering the timeline and the technology featured on the show, the crossovers just would have been a mess. Of all the Marvel animated series, like we talked about all eight of them, this is the most poorly received by audiences. And there was a couple of reasons for this. When you thought of the Avengers team, even before the MCU, you thought of three superheroes. Captain America, Iron Man, Thor. Now, Hamish, how many of these three are on the main team in this series? None. Zero! That's right, none of them! You know, it's thought that the lack of star power on this Avengers lineup is due to the main characters being tied up in other projects. Maybe that the live-action stuff was in the works or solo series. But they kind of make brief cameos. Captain America shows up for the episode we're going to be talking about. Iron Man gets a guest spot. But Thor, who is in the opening sequence for like half a second, gets zero appearances. He and Loki, I guess, uh, might have appeared in season two. But no, not at all. It's another decision because, again, like, I do forget why they're not there. I think it's just because, like, it was, it's supposed to be the future, right? It's, well, they said it's rights issues. So I, I guess the, yeah, we're in the future and the team kind of moved on. These, you know, they kind mm. of went their separate ways in some respects. Maybe. I don't know. But then of all possible lineups with this cartoon, like you said, we get Ant-Man as the leader. And we kind of get a mid-80s West Coast Avengers roster. Yeah, they, that was the weirdest choice. I mean, like, I get that, like, you know, if you had the West Coast Avengers, because, like, in you have Hawkeye there. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not trying, trying to you know, say Hawkeye's terrible. But, um, I know, it's, it's just, it seems a weird mix-up. I guess, they're, again, they're trying to do the same thing where it's like, oh, here's some characters who haven't had much of the spotlight. Let's put them in the spotlight. Yeah. I mean, the team for this series consists of Ant-Man as the leader, the Wasp, obviously. If you're going to have Ant-Man, you should have the Wasp, Tigra, Wonder Man, Falcon, uh, Scarlet Witch, Hawkeye, and then the Vision shows up. Scarlet Witch and Hawkeye, as we had mentioned before, you know, uh, they were in the Iron Man series previous, you know, check out our Iron Man episode. But uh, not only were the three big Avengers missing from the show, the characters, like you were talking about with the armor, they had their costumes altered for the show. So instead of the costumes that the fans have been seeing in the comics for maybe over 30 years in some cases at this point, they instead saw the Avengers wearing these bulky, clunky battle armor suits and the sequences to put them on. It's a really ugly cartoon. I could not believe how bad looking this show is. Again, it's one of those things to sell toys and make them look extreme and everything. I think the worst costume is Ant-Man's. Oh, I mean, like, Hawk Hawkeye's, Hawkeye's is gaudy, but at least it like, looks kind of like Hawkeye in a weird way. But, like, Ant-Man's outfit just, like, yeah, it doesn't gel with me. It's just, like... I mean, I do own that action figure, by the way, which is a very <laughs> odd action figure to have because it's very confusing. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's very ugly and doesn't really look like any of the costumes he's had before. No, it's silver. The eye part is like multiple green eyes. It's got mandible things attached to the front, but not like sticking out from it. Just kind of on the helmet itself. Just this big silvery robotic suit and it's terrible. Mm. So they changed the team. They changed the costumes, they changed the timeline, they also changed some of the stories from the comics, some of the origin stories, like Tigra is now a uh, genetic experiment, like an athletic 
experiment that she volunteered for. Why they bothered to change a lot of this stuff, I don't know. But like many of the other Marvel cartoons before it, as we mentioned, it had its own Toy Biz toy line. And these Avengers figures had that battle armor that everybody hated. Uh, They made a Captain America figure, even though he made an appearance in one episode. And they even made Thor and Loki figures, even though they didn't appear in any episode. that, That was probably an indication that, yeah, okay, if it gets picked up for season two, they'll be in the show. But yeah, I was gonna ask you if you had any of these toys... Yeah, um, I had uh, a Vision action figure and um, the Ant-Man. Did you have any of the transforming ones they made for this show? Um, that's the thing, like, the action figures I had were, like, the standard ones, right? Like, yeah. if you had Vision, right, you push these Avengers button that's in his belt. Yeah, they all have Avengers belt buckles. Yeah, you push his button and he lights up, right? Yeah. So you can do the whole phasing thing. What I liked about that, like, I liked that toy. It was a really good toy. Like, it was very, it had a lot of articulation, except for the shoulder parts. Like, because if you see in the show, he has, like, these very strong shoulder pieces. <laughs> you can't raise his arms up, like, straight up. So it looks like he has to, like, I don't know, he's, he's doing a field goal, I guess. When he put his arms up, he's <laughs> indicating there's a field goal. Because he can't lift his shoulders up higher. So even though he has the ability to do it, the shoulder pieces, which are hard plastic, can't go anywhere else. Weird. But yeah, he lights up. So you can do the whole phasing thing. And he was like, had a bit of, of a, a clear kind of midsection. So, you know, you could see the light light up. So, you know, he's phasing through stuff. It had a really well-made cape too. It was this nice yellow cape, which had like some good stitching on the sides. I know, I'm very impressed by that because I'm comparing it to when I had like a Batman action figure and they're like the cheap capes that you kind of clipped onto his neck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. These are the Batman figures from like um, Batman the Animated Series. Yep. Where like, yeah, you just clipped on this kind of thing on the back of his neck and it was, that was the cape. <laughs> But I also had, yeah, an Ant-Man figure. And the thing about it is, like, because in the show, he's supposed to grow big and grow small. And what you get with him is, like, you get a small Ant-Man little toy, which fits in the spa- little spacecraft that he hooks to his back. Yeah. Because in the show, that's how he gets around. Because obviously, yes. like, if you look at the movies, he just kind of runs and he seems to get to places really quickly. But now he also uses ants to fly around, which is more typical. Yep. But in this, it's like, you know, he uses he has a backpack thing, which is a little spacecraft. So when he goes small, he goes into the spacecraft and flies around. Which exacerbates the whole situation, I'd say. <laughs> but also, yeah, you can go... I mean, the ship doesn't go small. Anyway, but uh, the toy, what you can do is you can extend the arms. So you pull on the arms near the joints and, like, from the elbow outwards, it grows bigger. Like, it's like, a, like an ex- extra piece of piping that's hidden inside. So you can pull that open and, like, his arm would get bigger and his legs would do the same thing, like an Inspector Gadget. So basically, it's like an Inspector Gadget toy. You couldn't pop it off, but you could pull enough to get it out so his arms extend. Yeah, he basically turns into, like, lanky-looking dude <laughs> with, like, you know, t- not as big as he should be. Like, he doesn't seem to grow as big as you'd think he'd go, but, you know, it, you get the gist. Yeah, it's funny. It's like, the you know, because I had the Uncanny X-Men action figures when I was little, and that was mm. the uh, the first line of them. Uh, had a, a an apocalypse figure that's like growing action and that's what you do you like you pull on his arms and legs the same type of deal it makes him like slightly taller but every time we had one of these marvel productions that we've talked about you know i've always had some of the figures i bought fantastic four figures the x-men spider-man i even had generation x figures but just when it comes to avengers united they stand i never bought any the armor made them so ugly looking. And then they had the transforming ones with that Captain America could turn into an eagle and things like that. It's like fake transformers. They were just ugly, terrible toys. Mm. Just remember seeing them in the store as a kid and just being like, nope. But uh, in addition to the toy line, 
Marvel published uh, a comic based on this cartoon called Avengers United They Stand, the comic book series. And uh, it also proved to be very unpopular. It was canceled after issue number seven. What was notable about it is it tried to explain some of the details from the cartoon. Uh, we learned that the armor prevents injury by containing pin particles. And then there was even a storyline that the uh, Black Panther left the Avengers because he didn't think Ant-Man was a good leader. So he refused to join unless Ant-Man wasn't the leader anymore, which... That's great. That's hilarious. But why? It's just like, it's like I'm done. Goodbye. He's a hothead. He's terrible. He's not a good leader. Well, we'll get into it. We'll we'll talk more about Ant Man's leadership as we go on. But uh, just a little backstory on this show. It was first conceived in 1997 when a Fox executive approached two X Men animated series writers to come up with a proposal for an Avengers animated series, and they came up with all of the details and plot for an entire 13 episode season. But the network decided they probably wanted a Captain America series instead. But ultimately, none of these shows were picked up because Marvel then went into bankruptcy. And that affected any development of a new Marvel cartoon. Later in the following year, 1998, Marvel, now they were out of that financial trouble. Uh, Fox was free to pursue an Avengers series again. By this time, the two writers that started the work on the 13 episodes were now attached to a Transformers series. So Eric and Julia Leewald who were former story editors on X-Men, were hired to work on Avengers and to continue the development process. So this show was ultimately given the green light in, uh, in January of 1999, and that October, it premiered on Fox's Saturday morning block. So imagine, you could go to the movies and see The Phantom Menace, go home, watch Avengers United, they stand. Oh, entertainment was amazing this year. So good. Uh, all right, so let's get right into this thing. Uh, we begin with our opening sequence featuring faux futuristic synth guitar music. Uh, we get the Avengers logo, and it's the, the Avengers logo in the same typeface used in the comics and the one we now get in the current movies. However, this is not the title design used for the logo of the series, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, we get a look at each of the Avengers one by one, along with uh, clips of the series shown letterboxed, and we get names of each of the Avengers appearing in the black margins. And it finishes with the Avengers arranged around the logo of the show, which is a terrible logo, by the way. But at the last second, I love this, the camera pans up, and for like, like I mentioned, like a half second, standing atop the Avengers United They Stand logo are Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor. <laughs> I know, it's like, da -da. I mean, this opening is kind of like the X-Men show. Yeah. Because like, they do the whole thing of like, uh, people might not know these characters, so we should intro them. So yeah, they did the same thing of like, here's an intro of these characters with the name, with um, some action that they're doing. But it's not, not like a purposely made opening part because like it's just them cheaply putting together some clips Yeah, yeah. from the show itself. So it's not like, we made this specifically for the opening. It's like, no, it's just this. And the music is kind of generic too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. All right, so, yeah, it, it, my takeaways from this opening were, yeah, they're trying to really be like X-Men, and even Iron Man, because Iron Man did a little of this, too, at one point, put, putting the names of the heroes on the screen, along with the villains, and they're really trying to be like Batman Beyond with that music, and, uh, yeah, and my third takeaway is that this cartoon is so unbelievably ugly. I don't know what it is. It's just like the line art with the, the shading, just the color palette. It's so bright and, like you mentioned, gaudy. It's gross. Mm. It's an insult to your eyes. But it's funny that um, they do show Wonder Man in the beginning of this, but he's <laughs> in this episode. He is like, not. There's, there's an ongoing thing was he's like, what was he? He's not off the team. It's something, it's, it was something weird because I remember he didn't appear in many episodes. 
he's currently on life support. He's like in stasis. Yeah, that's the thing. They had this whole dramatic thing where it's like, oh, he's in life support because what happened to him? Well, we'll get into it. I'll, I'll talk a little more about because it, it ties into why we get uh, a vision in here as well. Yeah. But again, it's, it's, just, it's just really funny that for a guy, he barely appears in the show. He still has an action figure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Action figure and a, a prominent space in the opening of the show. Yeah. Even though he's not there. So we, get, we go into this episode, and to my shock and amazement, uh, this episode begins with the train heist sequence from Solo, A Star Wars Story. <laughs> we, get, we get a train full of valuable cargo speeding around a mountainous landscape. We get a team of rogues flying a carrier over the train and cutting into one of the cars. We get laser turrets flying all over the place. We get a lady blowing up a train bridge. Another group showing up to interfere and to battle that group. I mean, this was Solo, a Star Wars story. Yeah, before Solo, a Star Wars stories turn up. Since the beginning of trains existing and film at the same time, you know, trains have been used a lot for stories. <laughs> I don't think you, you can get past any kind of action sh TV show or animated action show without a train situation. But no, it was yeah. just a funny thing. We're cutting into a train car again. Uh, they did it in um, Captain America. <laughs> That's true. First Avenger. <laughs> Just saying. So we begin as a futuristic green transport train belonging to the government speeds across a rocky landscape at night. On top of the train next to laser gun turrets, we see heavily armored soldiers walking around monitoring the safety of metal crates inside. An alarm sounds as a large purple helicarrier with spider-like legs descends upon the train and begins laser cutting into it. And as the two vehicles exchange laser fire, a lot of lasers in this show, by the way, uh, we cut to the sky where the X-Men's Blackbird jet... No, wait. No, oh, it's no not. sorry. What are you talking about? It's oh, crazy. Sorry, the Avengers Quinjet, I apologize, keeps close tabs on the situation. Okay, also, when you said design of the line art, it doesn't look like it really matches. Like, it's supposed to be a black kind of spaceshipy thing. Yeah. It looks weird because the line art doesn't work well with it. From the way it looks, it looks like it's made out of glass. <laughs> yeah. But, like... It does look like the Blackbird from X-Men, but all I've done is whack on a giant spoiler. It's true. Now, back on top of the train, an elevator platform descends from the helicarrier into a cut-open train car, and the soldiers inside are confronted by four members of a group of villains called The Masters of Evil. Okay, so there's a ton of characters crammed into this episode, so as we encounter some new villains that aren't so prevalent in pop culture, I'll give a, a brief character profile, okay? So... First, let's just talk about this group. This is the Masters of Evil. Uh, this is a group of supervillains that the Avengers have fought over the years, dating all the way back to Baron Heinrich Zemo's original Masters of Evil in Avengers number six. So this group came against the Avengers back in 1964, August 1964. Over the years, the roster has changed, including the leader. I think Ultron even had his own Masters of Evil at one point. But the group that we get in this episode is closest to Baron Helmut Zemo's first Masters of Evil roster. So, since we're on the topic, let's talk about Baron Zemo. Uh, the Baron Zemo we get here, this is Baron Helmut Zemo. He is the son of the original Baron Zemo, Baron Heinrich Zemo. But in the comic storyline, he's, you know, in the family line, he comes from a long line of Baron Zemos. He's actually the 12th Baron Zemo. He made his <laughs> first appearance. I know. <laughs> Again, it's like Baron Zemo 12th. Baron Zemo the 12th. Couldn't go off and become an accountant. Had to get back into evil. I'm Baron Zemo, the bricklayer. Baron Zemo the 4th. No? Uh, yeah, huh? He could have. Well, I don't know. It has, I don't know how it works when it's like, you know, the family line spreads out. And then it's just like, I, am, I have to get into some evil. 
That's what I'm about. Dad, I just want to go away and make synth music. No, you become a Baron. And, a, and a, the Baron Zemo. <laughs> I mean, this is, again, uh, for the movie, you had a, a Zemo. Yes. Uh, who was not a Baron. He was just a guy called Zemo, who was quite clever at messing with the Avengers in Captain America Avengers Civil War by Ken Burns. <laughs> yeah, so this version of uh, Baron Zemo, he, he made his first appearance in Captain America number 168. That's December 1973. His primary motivation is avenging his father's death. We'll get into that uh, very shortly. Like you mentioned, he showed up in Captain America Civil War. A lot different, but if you look, the same primary motivation is there. He was avenging the death of his father in the movie, too. So he was an Avenger. Yeah, in a sense. Better uh, Avenger than any of Avengers in this cartoon. And I, 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 I got to rewatch um, Civil War again. Ken Burns, Civil War. <laughs> the, one, the one of Captain America in the Civil War. Or Wolverine in the Civil War. <laughs> Ken Burns, Marvel, Civil War. There you go. <laughs> so uh, next we get Whirlwind. David Cannon, a.k.a. Whirlwind. He was one of the main villains of the Iron Man animated series. Where he worked for the Mandarin. And uh, I guess he got fired or he quit. Uh, he well, he's he's, he's going to go where the work is. I guess, yeah. Uh, he's a mutant with the ability to spin at high speeds. He used his powers to become a jewel thief, and his first alias was the Human Top. He- <laughs> so it's like, ha ha, everyone, I'm the Human Top. <laughs> like a sweater? No, the, the Human Top. Jacket? No, the Human Top. It, you know when kids play with tops? Kids don't play with co- tops anymore. This is the future. Oh. Okay. Okay. Okay, hold on. Uh, whirlwind. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, I understand that. Oh, good. <laughs> he uh, he first appeared in Tales to Astonish number 50. That's December 1963 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Uh, our next villain here is Absorbing Man, also known as Carl Crusher Creel, a villain with the ability to transform his body into any material he decides to absorb. He made his debut in Thor's comic Journey into Mystery, Number 114, March 1965, another Lee Kirby creation. Uh, He was a convict who received his power by drinking a potion made by Loki in a plot to defeat Thor. And uh, in the story, he absorbed the guard's bullets and escaped prison. But I guess he just always loved that ball and chain. Always swings it around and keeps it as his primary weapon. Can he touch cheese and turn into that? I don't know. I'm not sure if it has to be... Uh, inorganic material. We talked in our Generation X episode a lot about uh, Mondo, who had similar powers, but I think he could touch wood or, uh, you know, anything that's organic and turn into it as well. There was a, a joke about Jello in that in that movie. So, earth, any earthly element? Possibly, yeah. I think so. Alright, so there's no point in one part of him just turning into some Limburger cheese and just attacking some guys. <laughs> so why did Loki make a drink for this guy? <laughs> Yeah, I don't... Why him? I don't know. I guess he was a fighter. There's, I think there's two versions of him in the MCU. One shows up uh, fighting Daredevil's dad in the TV series, and another one shows up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I, it could be a father-son situation. It'd be but, funny if it was just like the drink he gave him was just Metamucil. <laughs> it's all in his head. Yeah. Here, drink this Metamucil. Wow, I feel more regular. Yes! <laughs> I don't know how you're smashing through walls and stuff, but this is really taking a turn. <laughs> just, just like Loki really made a mistake. Like, oh, that that went completely wrong. I didn't expect that. No, Hamish, I hate to do this to you, but we got to do it. We have to talk about Boomerang. 
Boy, I wonder what kind of voice he's going to have and what kind of characteristics he'll be. Man, I, I, I'm going to be completely parallel. I, I, I don't know. What, what could it be? I mean, you know, I mean, the DC characters have a character called Boomerang, but what could he be? I don't know what country he could be from. It's, it seems like a complete mystery to me. What what, what kind of character? Just surprise me. Surprise me. Just, come on, Scott. Tell me. Surprise me with this character called Boomerang using Australian, you know, <laughs> Native Australian weaponry. <laughs> Tell me, what is his characteristics? What country is he from? What's he sound like? Well, Boomerang, also known as Bimerang, is uh, one of the few Australian characters in Marvel Comics. I'm sorry. He, uh, he made his debut in Tales to Astonish, number 81, July 1966, yet another Lee Kirby character. He was born Fred Myers from Alice Springs, Northern Territory. But... This is an odd thing I did not know about this character. He was actually raised in the United States, where he developed a love for baseball and actually became a major league baseball pitcher. How does that match the character? (laughs) (laughs) He was a pro baseball player in the U.S., but his career took a turn when he was caught accepting bribes and was kicked out of the sport. He was then contacted by the Secret Empire, who I guess liked his accurate arm, and must have looked at his birth certificate because they gave him boomerangs to throw as weapons. So this 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 this, wait, this doesn't make sense. So he's basically the I would just like to say he is the flea of this entire team. A guy who was born in Australia, in Melbourne, or born in Australia, yeah. but made it big over in America, and his entire identity is basically American. Yet all of a sudden when they go like, Oh man, you should really hook into this as boomerang. It's like, that's not really my thing. I mean, I was only born there and I grew up a little bit, but like, you know, I, I live in America. I see myself as an American. No, 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 no. Australian. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, again, why? Always the villain, never the hero. Australian characters. It's true. It's true. You know, as far as uh, Australian superheroes go, I think we've talked about it before on the podcast. There's Gateway, who assists the X-Men. Uh, he facilitates travel with his teleporting powers. But, you know, he's kind of associated with the team rather than a main X-Men character. And again, there's also Pyro. There's plenty of villains. Yeah, plenty of villains. But also we now have two villains who deal with boomerangs. One Marvel, one DC. I know, I know. Both cool. Well, one's Captain Boomerang, another one's just called Boomerang. (laughs) Uh. It's like, come on, just give us a chance, man. Give us like an Australian Spider-Man. Something. We, We just can't get out of it. So, later in the comics, Boomerang returned to his native Australia, where he upgraded his arsenal, honed his skills, and then returned to the U.S. to continue his career of villainy. So, he was a member of the Masters of Evil, he showed up many times as a Spider-Man villain, as, uh, you know, in the various incarnations of the Sinister Six. But, uh, yeah, just, uh, another villain. Now, Hamish, if you remember in our last episode, uh, we talked about a Super Mario Brothers Super Show episode that featured Down Underland and a uh, a mayor of Down Underland with a uh, a very terrible Australian voice. Uh, no, I don't remember that episode at all. I've been drinking since that last episode <laughs> to help me forget about it. You know, drink the old Billy T, you know, and the old <laughs> under the old uh, gum tree next yeah. to a uh, Billabong, just so I could forget all those Australian references, which were just you know top notch. Well, if you remember the listen, you know, I'm speaking to the listeners now because you're out of it. But uh, right, if, I'll, I'll, if, just, I'll just be over here. All right. But if you remember in that episode, I was talking about his voice and I, I said I, I had a, a theory or at least an idea or something I came across and it was a cliffhanger. Uh, this is where I want to continue that thought. Okay. 
I, I looked online to see who was actually doing the voice of Boomerang, and it was a voice actor named Rob Cowan. No. And I clicked on him on IMDb to see what other things he's done. Oh, and <laughs> among his uh, credits was the uh, episode of Super Mario Brothers Super Show entitled Crocodile Mario slash Rowdy Roddy Piper's Rotten Pipes. Oh, no. It came back around like a boomerang. Isn't that crazy? Now, we picked these two, you know, we picked two episodes at a time. We picked these two episodes completely at random. And uh, there you go. I Now, I don't know for sure if Mr. Rob Cowan voiced the mayor of Down Underland. But, man, there's a very good chance that he did. And that's still the fact that he was in both episodes is pretty, pretty remarkable. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm supposed to be more enthusiastic, like, yay. No, it's like, no. They, they still couldn't find an Australian to do a voice, any kind of voice work. I know. All right, so let's get back to the episode. As I mentioned, these villains descend from their ship into the train car. Uh, Whirlwind turns the lower half of his body into a green tornado and flies down, tackling the soldiers. Absorbing Man and Boomerang attempt to pick up some of the crates, but are launched back by an explosion. Uh, when the smoke clears, Hawkeye and Falcon are standing there with Hawkeye asking if they can play through, which would make Ugh. sense if something vaguely related to the game of golf just took place. <laughs> but no, that, <laughs> it makes no like sense. Like, he, he, he doesn't have golf clubs. No. Again, this this show, yeah, was shockingly bad because I did watch a couple other episodes and yeah. Hawkeye's shtick is saying something which is unrelated. It's like <laughs> if, if, if you were stealing cakes from a bakery and I smashed through the door. I'm Hawkeye, by the way. You, you're you stealing cakes. Mm-hmm. I smashed through the door and I'm like, anyone for polo? That's, <laughs> it's, you know, nothing makes sense. It's like, you know, Hawkeye, shut yeah. up, man. It's like, you didn't need to say anything. But like, uh, I like, Prior to this explosion, Baron Zemo says, quick, get the boxes. And literally three seconds later, there's an explosion. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, I guess we went that quick. <laughs> you know, somehow the Avengers knew this was going to transpire and mm. uh, they were ready for them. Uh, an already shrunken Ant-Man, leader of the Avengers, flies down into the train car in his tiny jet and starts buzzing around Zemo's head. Uh, we should mention that this is the Hank Pym Ant-Man. The cranky, irritable, original Ant-Man. Not the fun, wisecracking Scott Lang Ant-Man that we currently have in the movies. Also, just just real quickly, uh, what you'll find in this scene is that a lot of characters wear masks over their mouths. Yeah. Which really helps with the audio dubbing. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. I didn't didn't even make that connection. But yeah, it's, it's terrible. The, the helmets, the masks that they wear. So back on the top of the train, the Masters of Evil members, Moonstone and Cardinal, exit the helicarrier and are confronted by Avengers members... Tigra and Vision. Uh, Tigra, as I mentioned, sounds just like Rogue. It's so funny. Moonstone asks who Vision is. This is because he was created in the two-part opening story of this series. Uh, Even though we already saw him as a member of the Avengers in the Fantastic Four episode to battle the living planet. You know, see our previous episode of the podcast about that. Uh, So the timeline, little inconsistent here. But let's pause. Let's go over these additional two villains. First, we have the Cardinal. Uh, in the comics, Cardinal was born Daniel Joshua Clendenin. Uh, he made his first appearance in New Warriors 28, October 1992. He's a, a veteran that acquired a suit of super armor and became a bodyguard for an arms dealer. Uh, joined the Masters of Evil, formed by the Crimson Cowl, who I believe was really Ultron in disguise. And he later joined the Thunderbolts, where he was renamed Harrier. And Moonstone? 
a.k.a. Dr. Carla Sofen, made her first appearance in Captain America 192. That was December 1975. I love her story. She was a successful psychologist and psychiatrist, but turned to a life of crime to make more money. And that's it. That's it. She used her psychiatric skills to convince the original Moonstone to give her the source of his power, which ended up being a, like some sort of Kree gemstone. Much later in the comics, uh, she served time in prison, gave up her life of crime, but then reluctantly turned back, joined the Thunderbolts under the name Meteorite, and then later joined the Dark Avengers where she posed as the, uh, the fake Ms. Marvel. It's pretty funny that she had to rebrand herself. <laughs> I know. Well, they all kind of did. All right, so back to the episode, back inside the train. Yeah, okay, so now we get a little bit of a fight here. Hawkeye fires future arrows, which collide with boomerangs. Well, boomerangs. And uh, (laughs) Whirlwind flies and collides with Falcon, knocking him out. And uh, as he lies there, Absorbing Man walks over, holding, of course, his favorite weapon, the ball and chain, and says that now Falcon is going to find out why they call Crusher Creel the Absorbing Man. First (laughs) of all, no, he isn't. He's unconscious. Yeah. Second of all, don't don't go around shouting your secret identity. Is it really a secret identity? He doesn't wear a mask. That's true. Like I'm sure people know who he is at this point. Plus, his his powers are very obvious. It's like you'll now know why I'm called the Absorbing Man. Look at me <laughs> touching this thing and absorbing its powers. Now you know why I'm the Absorbing Man. Enjoy that. <laughs> no, I'm not the Absorbent Man. That's someone else. He's the spongy guy. Yeah, yeah. This guy comes out, out from a from behind a wall. It's me, the absorption man. Look at it. Look at this glass of water. It's just SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> oh, no. I was trying to make him cool. Not SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> you know, instead of just immediately smashing Falcon with that iron ball he's carrying, he instead demonstrates his powers by touching the metal walls of the train car and turning his body into a some sort of shiny silvery metal. Then he begins to swing the ball around his head like he's ready to strike. But by then it's too late. Uh, Just then, Captain America's shield flies in, deflecting his weapon, ricocheting off the wall, and then going straight at Absorbing Man's chest. And of course, Zemo is uh, surprised to see him. And and this is our big reveal of Captain America here, because yes, it took six episodes for the most famous Avenger to show up on the Avengers cartoon show. We should mention too, uh, Captain America is the, uh, the only Avenger here not wearing ugly armor. He does appear just as he does in the comics, which is kind of nice. But he's drawn slightly weirdly. Yeah. Well, everyone is. <laughs> I know, I know. But, like, compared to the other people who have, like, the anime outfits, he's got the most basic outfit, but it's still something weird about his head sculpts. Like, I think it's something to do with the eyes and everything like that. He kind of looks like Batman, but without, like, dark tones or a cool mystique. You know, it just yeah. seems like he's wearing a cheaper version of his own outfit. And he does have some, like, circles drawn over his ears, like he has earpieces in or something. Yeah, I guess they couldn't figure out what to do with that. I mean, it's like one of those things where it's like they either cover the ears or they expose it. I mean, traditionally, his ears are exposed. But I guess, you know, they just didn't want to do that because it's too hard to keep drawing those ears. Well, he might want to engage in some Greco-Roman wrestling at some point, so. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, the elevator platform full of metal crates starts flying straight at Cap for some unknown reason. We never see what pushes it or throws it or anything but there it is flying at captain america falcon wakes up just in time to just kick it out of the way now the two groups square off again ant-man jumps out of his tiny jet and grows to normal size with some sort of orange glow and uh he's surprised to see captain america too and is kind of annoyed that he showed up on this mission and he asks why he's here cap says he's tracking zemo because he's after something big that he doesn't plan on letting him get 
Now, uh, keep in mind, they're just having this conversation as they're just standing around, like, mid-fight. <laughs> now, from here, because nothing's going on, uh, we cut back to the top of the train. Moonstone fires a blast of yellow energy at Vision. He turns semi-transparent, kind of phases out, and the blast flies straight through him and at the train bridge off in the distance, destroying it. And Cardinal yells at Moonstone for destroying the trestle that the train is speeding towards, but Moonstone quickly defends her actions, saying it was an accident, and then blaming Vision. It was all his fault. <laughs> it's, it's funny for the fact, it's like, ah, oh, what have you done there, you bad person doing bad things? I'm another bad person, and you've done something bad. But I think it equates to something even worse than what we're doing right now. Yeah, and she's like, it wasn't my fault, it was his. It's like, wait, yeah. what are you, it's not an Abbott and Costello situation. It's just, you're evil. It'd just be like, ha ha, we took out the bridge. Just laugh about it and then get out. Well, the only problem is that's the bridge that the train is about to go over. So I can understand. It's fine. It is fine. Everybody can fly, we'll find out. But meanwhile, above the ship, above the train, the Avengers Quinjet is hovering with Scarlet Witch seeing the knocked out bridge and just notifying Ant-Man in a panic. And this cuts to Absorbing Man saying, let's get out of here, which implies that he either heard the warning to the Avengers or somehow sensed the bridge is out or maybe he is in communication with her for some reason. Either way, super senses. Anyway, okay. <laughs> I, I, I agree with that. All right, so Baron Zemo refuses to leave without the crates they came for, but they only grab one before Whirlwind turns into a green vortex and sucks all the villains back up into the helicarrier. Very, very convenient. Yeah. Again, it's just like, all right, guys, up. What was the other? If, if Wilwyn wasn't there, how else were they going to get out? The elevator, but somebody off screen detached it and threw it at Captain America. Fair enough. <laughs> As the helicarrier begins to fly away with the stolen cargo, the Wasp plans to go after them, but Captain America tells her to keep the jet in place so they can rescue the injured soldiers. Now, I'm looking at this, I'm like, how is Cap able to communicate with the Avengers in the jet? Who knows who cares, I guess. But the Wasp is happy to hear Cap's voice because as we gather by this point, it's been a long time since he's been with the team. Yeah, it's pretty funny. She's like, Cap, is that you? <laughs> Literally, you're in the middle of a mission right now. This is not the time to be doing this stuff. Now, Ant-Man, who is still annoyed at Cap's surprise visit, shrinks down, hops inside his jet, and he flies to where the bridge was blown apart. And he jumps out, turns giant, and holds what's left of the train tracks across his shoulders just as the train speeds over. And I guess the strain is too much. Ant-Man now begins to shrink back to normal size as the train track rubble falls around him. And at this point, Falcon flies out and grabs him and carries him to safety as we fade to black. Or if you look at the animation, just flies off into the sky. <laughs> just like takes him away from the train completely. It's like, all right, let's go away into the sky. Well, more about that, because we next fade in on a heavily guarded government base at the base of a mountain. This is kind of serving as the Avengers' home base as well. And we see the sun is already risen. It's kind of morning. As the Quinjet approaches, Wasp radios ahead saying that they're arriving with eight wounded. We also see the train rolling towards the base because, uh, just very conveniently, the base has train tracks leading to and from it. But you'll also notice Falcon flying back into the moving train and dropping off Ant-Man. And I'm like, was he carrying him all night? Yeah, it was nighttime when they started doing their thing. And then it's like daytime when they get to the base. So yeah, maybe it was carrying the entire time. Like, hey, don't worry, let's go on an adventure. <laughs> flying, flying around as Ant-Man's unconscious. While he's saying, I, no I can show you the world. <laughs> yeah, see, the problem is, I think every time they show this base, the establishing shot has, like, sunrise or maybe sunset. Mm. And so it 
doesn't really go with the rest of the episode. So as the Avengers approach the base, Hawkeye calls ahead to Sikorsky to have some coffee ready. <laughs> it gives this coffee bit. Again, I don't know. Like, Hawkeye, for some reason, this was made to be a, like, kind of voice to sound like a Wolverine. Because Wolverine's a tough guy. It sounds like that. Yeah. Hey, where's the coffee, guys? You know, it's like that kind of stuff. And he's all things like, hey, where's the Java? You know, he's trying, like, yeah. I get he's trying to be the tough guy out of these flavorless vanilla people. So, you know, it, it, trying to make Hawkeye like that doesn't work. I like when Hawkeye is like the cocky guy. He's like, hey, I'm going to do this. I mean, they kind of made him the cocky guy. And was it Avengers Assembled? That other Avengers TV show? Yeah, but also we've, we've seen this same character from the same universe in Iron Man, the animated series, and he had a different voice and everything, so it's kind of funny. We don't know. We don't know if this is a different timeline. Well, it's supposed to be part of that Marvel animated universe. It's really supposed to be part of that timeline, even though mm, it doesn't really match up perfectly. Now, uh, the character that they radio ahead to, Raymond Sikorsky, he only really exists in this cartoon and the comic book based on this cartoon. He's basically the official overseeing the Avengers, almost kind of like what Nick Fury was to the Avengers early on in the MCU. There was a Sikorsky in regular Earth 616 Marvel continuity, but he was like a tiny purple insectoid alien that resembled a helicopter. Uh, his name was a reference to the inventor of the helicopter, Igor Sikorsky. This is not who we get in this cartoon. I just like that when um, they're departing the train, Hawkeye does lean over to a paramedic and goes, Where's the Java? Yeah, yeah. It's like, he's not the guy you talk to. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Hawkeye, I get Hawkeye's supposed to be like, I'm the cool guy. But like, walking over to a paramedic who's helping another guy and then being a broken bag of arrows and being this kind of guy, especially with a guy who's wearing purple with a H on his forehead... It looks so weird. Again, like, why are, you, why are you saying, hey, where's the job? I mean, I get it that you've been, like, on the train from, like, night till morning, but at the same time, <laughs> come on, man. Just be I cool. Don't. Just be cool. I hope he never brings up this coffee thing ever again. Yeah, it's probably the last mention of it, but let's go through the episode. We'll see. So, as the train screeches to a halt deep inside the mountain base, Sikorsky and his men are waiting. Sikorsky orders them to board the train and unload and secure the cargo. And as the doors of the train car opens, the Avengers are standing there with Ant-Man tending to uh, an unconscious soldier. Ant-Man is about to explain the urgent medical situation, but he's like immediately interrupted by Captain America, notifying Sikorsky of the injured on board. This is one of the first examples we get of Ant-Man being the leader, Captain America stepping right in and interrupting him. And they kind of, you know, interrupt each other back and forth throughout the episode. Mm -hmm. So uh, just a note here, too. The Wasp is standing with them in the train, even though she was flying the Quinjet moments ago. So she landed the jet and just quickly boarded the train car while it was moving. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, how that yeah. works. It's like, quickly, get yeah. on board. So the men attend to the wounded. The Avengers leave the train. Hawkeye, you know, asks for the Java. From here, we fade to Sikorsky taking inventory of the crates and just berating the heroes for still letting Baron Zemo get away with one of them. Cap explains the situation, including the fact that Ant-Man was responsible for saving the entire train, but Sikorsky does not seem to care. And uh, this was one of my favorite moments of the episode. I don't know if you caught this. We get a weird bit of dialogue as uh, Ant-Man questions Sikorsky, and I wrote down the dialogue word for word here. He asks, Why didn't you tell us you were calling Cap in? Cap responds, To be honest, Hank, he didn't. What? <laughs> like, yeah, we know he didn't. So I was thinking, like, was this line supposed to be, to be honest, Hank, he didn't know. How did nobody catch this? Yeah, it's because he didn't. 
So Cap just kind of turns up because, hey, why not? <laughs> no, it's like, you didn't tell us you were calling Cap in. That's right. He didn't. But it's, to be honest, Hank, he didn't know. Like, they cut off the word no, or it was an alternate take or something. Somehow it snuck mm. through. Very odd. Very poorly done. Anyway, we see Sikorsky loves Cap, hates Ant-Man. He's happy to have Cap on board again, adding that maybe now this thing will get resolved. Just a total swipe at Ant-Man's leadership. Cap pats Ant-Man on the shoulder, telling him, you know, hang in there. And uh, Janet tells him, you know, don't let Sikorsky get you down. And we can see through this entire episode that Ant-Man is just so annoyed with Captain America. And really, because Cap takes over the team. It's that whole rivalry thing that they're kind of trying to work on. You know what this reminded me of? I don't know if you get this vibe too. Is uh, the relationship between Woody and Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, alright. It does just feel kind of like that. It's very ham-fisted. When they're trying this whole thing where it's like, I'm Cap, and I'm the real good leader, and Ant-Man, you're not as good as me. It's like that. They've done it in multiple TV shows, cartoons, anything. Where it's yeah. like, you know, the old leader comes along and is like, I know how to handle a team like this. They should be like this, and do it like this. Because, you know, I know how to make them a fine old machine. And then Ant-Man's like, ah, oh, where's my place in this team if I'm not a leader? Yeah, so basically, at this point of the episode, Ant-Man is just so down on himself. He feels like just a research scientist, while Cap here, you know, is the born leader. So Sikorsky walks back over to the team, saying to stay on the case until they get the stolen weapon out of Baron Zemo's hands. Ant-Man was about to reply with the words, The Avengers never quit Sikorsky, but he stops himself as he realizes that Cap was actually being addressed as the leader of the Avengers. Poor Ant-Man, <laughs> said. Cap shakes Sikorsky's hand saying, you can count on us. Hawkeye welcomes Cap home and the other Avengers walk over and we cut to Ant-Man's sad eyes as he watches all of this. Sad. So sad. Boo-hoo. I mean, yeah, Cap is the is better guy, but, you know, you, you kind of, I don't know, you really, really just get in his they're way. Both, they're both awful in this cartoon. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, Cap comes off as an unfeeling jerk. So we next fade to the helicarrier belonging to the Masters of Evil as it flies through the night sky. And it was like, it's night again? Okay, a lot of time passing here. As Zemo was crouched down in front of one of the crates they managed to steal while the other Masters of Evil look on. They're still mad about not being able to steal more. And uh, Zemo even drops the Scooby-Doo line, I would have emptied that train if those wretched Avengers hadn't interfered. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. So next we see the villain Tiger Shark growl with impatience and punch a <laughs> hole into the top of the crate. I just like it what he says. He's like, Tiger Shark, you're not helping. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Like, Tiger Shark has no other lines beyond that. He's, well, he has one other line, which is like, Nothing. He basically hits it. He's like, you're not helping, Tiger Shark. It's like he, it's like he's talking to a cat that's come up and, you know, you're trying yeah. to up, open your Amazon purchase and, like, the cat keeps coming up clawing at the box. He's like, yeah, exactly. go away. Go away. That's ex exactly what this is. Tiger Shark is, I didn't even know he was in this episode until then. Yeah, that's the thing. I was, in my notes, I'm like, where was Tiger Shark during this fight? Was he, like, in the bathroom or something? <laughs> <laughs> so Zemo admires the device inside the crate as the ship is landed on an overlook by the pilot of the ship, which is Dragonfly. There, there's like 50 Masters of Evil. So I was like, all right, we got to go over the, these last two villains we're introduced to here. So Tiger Shark. Tiger Shark is actually an old Namor villain who made his first appearance in Prince Namor, the Submariner number 5. 
November 1968, created by Roy Thomas and Sal Buscema. Tiger Shark, his story goes, he was originally an Olympic swimmer named Todd Arliss, who just loved the spotlight. And he loved it so much, he attempted to gain some attention by rescuing a drowning victim, but rammed into a ship or something and he severely injured his spine in the process. So to regain his abilities, he volunteered for an experiment that blended his DNA with the DNA of Namor and that of a tiger shark, turning him into this angry, animal-like, shark-human hybrid. Mm-hmm. There you go. There's Tiger Shark. <laughs> that makes very little sense, but okay. Well, it, it worked in the 60s, I guess. That's how it is. Comic books. Now, Dragonfly, a.k.a. Veronica Daltrey, made her debut in X-Men number 94, August 1975, created by longtime X-Men writer Chris Claremont and Len Wein, who we talked about as the writer of this episode as well. Uh, She was a normal human, and she was given the powers of flight and a hypnotic stare in order to work for Count Nefaria's Anymen. And, uh, yeah, that's that's about what she is. But we don't get the hypnotism in this episode. Just the flight. Well, you know, maybe she just wants to try something else and just stick to flying. Well, you can't stare when you get those bug eyes over your face. Everyone's got, like, some crazy version of their own costume. Alright, so back to the episode. With the helicarrier grounded, the villains all walk to the edge of a grassy cliff which overlooks a large city, and it's explained that the device they stole generates an electromagnetic pulse that can disable all electric equipment in a designated area for a limited time. Zemo activates the device, sending glowing purple rings of energy down upon the city, and they watch as the city loses power, and the citizens on the street flee the uh, accompanying random electronic explosions. If you notice characters kept on doing that, when it's a, it's an EMP device, and it's like, what's it do? And they have to explain, it's an electromagnetic pulse device. <laughs> they actually have to keep saying, electromagnetic pulse. They even did the same thing in The Matrix, when a character yeah, yeah. Like, will say something like, it's an EMP generator. It fires at electromagnetic pulse. Like, they actually have to say, electromagnetic pulse. No one's allowed to say EMP, and we're like, we all get it. We all get it. It's like, you know, it's like someone saying, I'm going to get money from this ATM. Automatic teller machine. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot, a lot of explanation, followed by a very uh, elaborate demonstration sequence. For no reason, yeah. really. They have nothing to do with this city. They just wanted to see if it creates a blackout. And it does. <laughs> so with their test complete, Zemo tells Boomerang that they will now use the device to steal the rest of the crates they missed. And, uh, oh yeah, weak vengeance. So this begins a wavy effect on the screen, which transitions us to a flashback to Captain America fighting Baron Zemo's father. This is the one we talked about earlier, Baron Heinrich Zemo. Uh, In the comics, he's, you know, the original Baron Zemo. Uh, This flashback, oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm sorry, I I just remember the animation. It looks bizarre. It's It's like, he's explaining, like, he killed my father. And it's like, are you sure? Because when you see the flashback, it doesn't look like that. No, not at all. I mean, in the flashback, you like you think, okay, well, maybe he died in a fight with Captain America. No. In this flashback, the original Zemo is firing a blaster gun at Captain America, and Captain America is deflecting the blaster bolts with his shield, and the shield is also so reflective that Zemo starts to get blinded and disoriented by the sunlight. You know, it's like that's reflecting back at his face. So he accidentally fires up back behind him at the mountainside. That's, you know, because he's at the base of a mountain turns around like 180 degrees and just starts firing at the cliff above him. (laughs) The the rocks crumble and (laughs) fall down on him, 
killing him as his young son, who is now, you know, grown up to be the current Baron Zemo, looks on. And it's like, kid, I'm sorry. He got disoriented by the shining light and really made a stupid move. But as we leave the flashback, Zemo says he will break Cap as he had broken his father. He didn't break anything. Your father, <laughs> like, he shot at some rocks and the rocks land on him and killed him. <laughs> like, he looked goofy enough. But again, it just seemed like, ah, flailing his hands around and Cap's like, okay. And just kind yeah, of I goes know. away. Cap was like, that was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. It's like, well, it's like, well, technically, I didn't kill him. He killed himself. And that's it. It's like, eh. So from here, we cut back to the mountain base where the Avengers are moving crates around and fixing the train. And Hawkeye... Oh, no. Sorry, Hamish. What? Uh-oh. Hawkeye what? is still screaming for coffee as oh. he works on the train with Falcon. Ah, uh, if only someone would bring him some coffee. It seems like Hawkeye can't get a break. He just can't get himself some coffee. Just needs a coffee. I got some good news for you. What's that? Just then, Cap brings Hawkeye a steaming mug as uh, the three of them catch up on old times. Oh, oh, Captain America's the best guy. Oh, he's way better than the Ant-Man guy. Oh, he's the, he's great and fantastic. Uh, I hope you bought one for Falcon as well. It's good. But um, in the, the next scene, you actually see Falcon getting a coffee. Does he get one too? Okay. He, he bought two. That's what I, that's what oh, I okay. found funny about it, is that like He bought two... Two mugs of coffee. He's the best guy. And like, you know, Falcon's there. It's like, oh, I get a coffee too. That's what happens. <laughs> but, you know, I'm glad to see the coffee storyline getting resolved here. Falcon wasn't asking for coffee, but then like Cap's like, oh, I got you one too, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't feel left out, buddy. You know, this is, this is from me, Captain America, to you, the Falcon. But the thing is, like, you know, they mentioned that they go way back. They're keeping it consistent with the comics, you know, and we see a little bit of that camaraderie in the movies. But in the comics, like, Captain America and Falcon, they were like teammates. The two of them partnered up to fight crime. So they go way back as good friends. So, yeah, I, I could see him bringing him coffee. Why not? So coffee's a given. So the three of them, they walk over to Vision, who's at the computers, where uh, Vision is uh, showing them an example of the dangerousness of the device they need to recover. So Cap talks to Vision here, and he tells him that he knows that he has the mind of Wonder Man, uh, a fellow Avenger that meant a lot to him. And uh, Vision explains that he only has the brain engrams of Wonder Man, not his memories. Otherwise, he would have remembered the former leader of the Avengers. So this is supposed to be the first meeting of uh, Vision and Captain America. In the first episode of this series, Ultron created Vision to destroy Ant-Man. And in the second episode, Wonder Man was put on life support and his brain patterns were copied into Vision. And uh, this is closer actually to his comics origin than his MCU origin. That explains why Wonder Man shows up in the show's opening, but not in the show. Even though there's some variation to the origin story, in the comics, the movies, and in the series, the Vision is created by Ultron. That's one thing that's consistent. Okay, so while Cap and Vision talk, Hawkeye chimes in saying that Captain America practically founded the Avengers. Or should I say, I practically founded the Avengers. I say practically founded. So it's like, so wait, what, what happened beforehand? Well, that's the thing. Like, Cap agrees. Yeah, I founded the Avengers, but it was along with Iron Man, Thor, Ant-Man, and Wasp. In actuality, in the comics, even though Cap was a Golden Age hero that made his comics debut way back in 1941, he didn't get revived and join the Avengers until Avengers number 4, March 1964. The original team from Avengers number 1, September 1963, the original lineup was Iron Man, Thor, Ant-Man, Wasp, and the Incredible Hulk. Ant-Man? Ugh. Who'd want that guy on a team? I hear he's the worst. He does what he can. He's a research scientist. He's not a leader, Hamish. Uh, no. So just then, Hank tells the team that he thinks he's located the stolen device, 
And on a monitor, he shows footage from earlier in the cartoon of the train heist. Who, who was filming this? Well, you know, videographers. And then a, a nearby city blackout. So that's, that's how we kind of put it together. Like, okay, the train heist was here. This city all of a sudden had a complete blackout. Puts two and two together. They're probably in this area. Next on the monitor, we see that Baron Zemo and his helicarrier are now headed to the Avengers base, uh, presumably to steal the rest of the crates. Cap points out to Hank that the device could shut down the Avengers battle armor, but Hank snaps back, you know, I'm a scientist, I've already thought of that. There's a jamming frequency programmed into the Ultra armor, and, uh, okay, I guess that's gonna protect it? I guess. They all have this armor, it's like, by the way, did Iron Man make this for you guys, or do you guys just, like, make it yourself? That's true, huh? Like, Iron Man should have been the one to develop this stuff, yeah. not uh, Ant-Man. Yeah, I couldn't figure that out. And then at this point, Hawkeye flexes his bicep and says, you know, like, we're more than just armor. We're the Avengers. Hawkeye, <laughs> have you seen your toy commercial? You're pretty much armor. It's like, it's like you're um, not the best team. Well, I gotta say that. Yeah, you guys are okay. Like, what was it? <laughs> the Avengers. That doesn't mean anything. Maybe get, like, discounts at the movies, but it doesn't mean anything to us. <laughs> Have you seen the Avengers toy commercial by any chance? For these toys? Yeah. No. Let's see if I can find it real quick. The toy commercial for these toys is so funny. Are you ready to be an Avenger? To be an Avenger, you must be strong, swift, quick, and true. Avengers assemble. Avengers. Oh, one's cannon lights up. A is for action. Wonder Man's ready. Ant Man's mini jet is set. Wonder Man. Ant Man extends. Captain America's droid explodes. My shield will protect the Avengers. He's got a magnet in his hand that grabs an arrow. It's one of those like, super action in your face. Tons of words, 30 seconds. Captain America's toy explodes. You know, it's like, did he break it? What? <laughs> so just going back, yes, you're not more than just armor. You are mostly armor. So Cap warns Hank against underestimating Baron Zemo. You know, he's, he's faced the Zemos before, but Hank just sarcastically says, thanks, I'll keep that in mind. So next, the Masters of Evil land outside the base and the soldiers are standing guard. <laughs> and they, they notice that their blaster guns are blinking red, which I guess is how they receive their alerts. It's just them reusing some animation because like later on you see them look at their guns again in the same animation. But it's like, yeah, like for some reason their guns have like the alert, like a watch or a radio thing. It's like if it's a watch, it's like a communicator thing or if it's a radio, it'd be like, like that. Like, yeah. they're attacking the base. It's like, we gotta get out of here. But instead it's just like the gun flashes and tells them they're under attack. <laughs> they, they're standing outside. They couldn't see the helicopter thing that the evil guys are flying and just like, oh, there it is. And that doesn't seem safe. Like, you, you gotta look at the alert, so you gotta pick up your gun and look at it sideways. Yeah. Uh, how about a loudspeaker? That'd be probably the best. Yeah. So anyway, now they they see the villains, they're firing at them, but Moonstone is able to activate the device, rendering the blasters, turrets, spotlights, all of them completely useless. Uh, with no outside security now, the helicarrier just flies into the big tunnel leading into the base. And I was like, how is the helicarrier not affected by the electromagnetism? But they mention, like, they could use it over a specific area, so, like, I guess they can kind of aim it. It's like a frequency as well or something? Yeah, there was a frequency thing that I guess was trying to, you know, they try to explain it away with that. But now inside the base, the helicarrier hovers over the transport train that's parked there and begins firing its lasers. They also activate the device, uh, preventing the guards from firing back. 
as the helicarrier lands over the remaining crates that were just sitting there in the middle of a giant open floor space, mind you. Tiger Shark and Boomerang fly out wearing jetpacks, and they just fly straight out. And I'm like, where are you going? <laughs> you landed over the crates. <laughs> They're probably like, jetpacks, yeah, let's try them. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, jetpacks, this is awesome. <laughs> As I fly off, it's like, <laughs> it's like Baron Zemo sitting inside and like, why did I give them jetpacks? I just knew they'd fly away. Just gonna go down to the floor. Why? Why did I plan it like this? They've never seen jetpacks before. They're just highly excited. Anyway, good thing I haven't got anything else, which is gonna be like too radical or cool, like flying hoverboards or something like that. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. But down on the floor, they notice there's the Avengers now assembled and wearing their hideous battle armor. And from here, we cut to commercial. So at this point, the show mercifully takes a commercial break, so why don't we take a commercial break ourselves, we'll pay some bills, and we'll be right back. Alright, so, uh, hey Hamish, if, are you like me? Uh, a lot of times you have uh, pieces of paper just lying around, you gotta stick them together? No. Okay, well, I, I have this, let's see, it says I have to have this problem in my life. And uh, what I like to do is use stick-right tape. Stick-right tape is a clear tape, better than the leading brands. It uh, comes on a double roll. It's double the the uh, diameter of normal tapes. And uh, mm -hmm. let's see, they sent me some. Wait, wait, wait. Is, it, is this a tape that? Because I, I get sent tape as well. Is this stuff that you can use to, like, you you get one strip of it and you can connect things to your roof, like uh, you know, like he heavy objects? Because I. I have a whole bunch of stuff which I've used that tape for, basically hanging from the ceiling. I'm looking over the fine print here. And uh, I, let me just check it. Let's see if it's still stuck up there. Hold on. I mean, it's just, I'm just gonna check and see if the stuff is still hanging there. I mean, just make sure it's really good. Okay. Yeah, looks like it's Oh no! <laughs> <coughs> um. Uh, stick right tape uh, should be used with caution. Uh, please uh, take. Oh, I should probably just re-record this. Thing. And we're back. Okay, now when we return, the members of the Master of Evil leave their ship to face the Avengers. Some members, like Dragonfly and Cardinal, can fly, but others, like Moonstone and Absorbing Man, are well. You you mentioned it before the break. Terrible. Well, they're terrible, oh. but they're on fire. I wish. Keep going. They're on uh, hideous uh, teapots. Uh, hoverboards. That's right. There are what? hoverboards. Hoverboards. It doesn't make sense. Why? Well, so wait. Baron Zero came. Like, they came equipped with like two jetpacks, two cool hoverboards. That's it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's all we need. And it's like, where'd you get the two hoverboards from? I'm really wait. I'm doing a Baron Zero impression. I'm a really big fan of the. Back to the Future, number two. Yeah, really? You've seen that film? Anyway, <laughs> these boards cost $40,000 each. <laughs> Don't break them. He seems like someone that would really be psyched for Jaws 18. Yeah. Have you seen it? 3D. So next, Ant-Man orders the Avengers to concentrate on... But he's, he's cut off. Cut off by Captain America, who tells them to choose their foes and take them down. It's like... This whole right. thing. It's like, in this episode, I don't know, honestly, who we're supposed to like here. Both of them are, just come off as jerks. I guess we're supposed to feel bad for Ant-Man, because, like, he's the leader for the series. Like, he's the guy we know. But they're both just terrible leaders. 
So next, uh, Wasp and Dragonfly fly at each other. Boomerang and Hawkeye fling their signature projectiles at each other. Falcon and Cardinal fight in the air. And while this is all going on, Baron Zemo activates the electromagnetic pulse, which immediately shorts out Tiger Shark's jetpack as well as the, the hoverboards. Oh, no. So while we see him, like, negatively affecting his own team, we get... This is another weird thing they put in this episode. We get an audio clip from earlier reinserted into the mix here where Ant-Man was telling Cap about the jamming frequency he programmed into the armor. Yeah. I don't know if you caught that. I guess they just wanted to remind the kids watching that the armor is supposed to be protected. So they threw in that line. They cut and pasted it back in here. But when the, uh, the Avengers brag that they're shielded now, Zemo changes the frequency on the device, causing the armor to short out, immediately incapacitating them. An absorbing man is now ready to crush the fallen Avengers with that that old ball and chain. His wife? <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, that, that's a terrible uh, overused phrase. But um, the thing is, it's it's weird because it, not all the Avengers are wearing armor. Like a few, like Hawkeye, Falcon, and Wasp. That's it. Yeah. The rest, it's the three dudes. And the thing is, how come they didn't plan for this? Like, oh wait, they can't change the frequency. Ah, oh, we forgot. Yeah, it merely makes sense. And then Vision's an android. He's not affected at all. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's left. He's like, I gotta leave. <laughs> this, is, this is not gonna go well for me. Yeah, so some of them are not affected. Uh, like Scarlet Witch, she's a mutant. Her power doesn't come from armor or technology. Uh, she fires blasts from both of her hands at Absorbing Man while yelling, uh, Winds of Destiny change. Because her mutant power is to be able to change probabilities. Not quite what we get here. This use of her powers causes Absorbing Man to fall backwards onto Moonstone. This, for some reason, causes him to absorb Moonstone's powers. And then he just starts blasting energy out of his hands indiscriminately. It's like, <laughs> how is that supposed to help? Yeah, but in the next scene, Boomerang throws a boomerang. And he just kind of looks at it and goes, I'm going to shoot that. Yes. <laughs> just shoots it. For no reason. Yeah. Just some weird padding. Because he's just like... Oh no, I've got these powers. And then like, doesn't say anything, but Boomerang's like, huh. He just looks at the Boomerang and goes, whap. Shoots and then goes flying back at Boomerang, who goes flying into Tiger Shark. Ugh. It's like, what's going on? So fortunately for the Avengers, the Masters of Evil just arrange themselves like dominoes. So they all just fall into each other. Uh, meanwhile, Baron Zemo is just standing there in the doorway up on the helicarrier, shouting, victory must be mine. Just like a Stewie Griffin. Which, by the way... Family Guy was already on season two at this point, so maybe maybe an influence here. Oh my word. So, next Cap throws his shield, not at Zemo, mind you, but off walls and pipes until finally it flies through and knocks the device out of Zemo's hands, breaking it on the floor. So, we cut to the Avengers now taking off their fried armor, and I love, like, Hawkeye has this, like, big helmet that he takes off, and he's wearing a purple mask on his face underneath. Yeah. Like, what's with all the face gear? There's so much extra gear on top of gear in this, it's ridiculous. As they do this, Falcon reminds Hawkeye of his speech earlier where he said they're more than just armor, and now with a little more pep in their step, they all run back into the fight. At the same time, with the device no longer disrupting the base's technology, uh, the security systems completely reboot themselves. Okay, so the Masters of Evil run back to their ship. Zemo refuses to leave until Cap is destroyed, of course. And now the base's defenses are kicking in, causing the laser turrets inside of the base to start firing it at anything, anybody that moves, including the Avengers. Oh no, not the Avengers. How will they survive? 
Falcon and Hawkeye look to Ant-Man for their next orders. And Ant-Man is really surprised here. That's like, you view me as the leader? And, you know, because Captain America <laughs> showed up and he thought, well, he's taking a backseat to Cap. But Ant-Man now uh, orders Scarlet Witch and the Wasp to get in the Quinjet and uh, get it back online while he runs into a transformation chamber? I don't know. It's the thing is, in the show, he pushes, they push the, they push the A, the Avengers A. They're that's belt on buckles. Their, well, it's on the uniform somewhere. I think Wasp has one on his shoulder. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> they hit the symbol, and then <laughs> and then they turn into... Uh, but they hit the symbols, and then like they go to a transformation sequence, which is taken from any kind of anime, or... Let's say they go into a Sailor Moon transformation sequence. Yeah, where like, they're getting the armor, the helmet, the pieces, and all that stuff. Basically, they use this a lot just for padding. Depending on how much padding they want, each character has a transformation sequence. <laughs> so depending on the episode, if it's a very short episode, they will jam in more characters doing their um, suiting up sequence. Yeah, and it's it's very reminiscent of what you would see in like Power Rangers. And you also get like some anime-inspired backgrounds, like just crazy colors and flashing mm. patterns. The theme song kicks in also. Like, dun, 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 dun. It's, it's ridiculous. So now... In his ugly armor, Ant-Man continues his orders, having Tigra and Cap handle the fight on the ground, and uh, Falcon in the air with Hawkeye covering him. And while they begin to battle, Ant-Man, keep in mind, he has his helmet completely over his face now. He runs to a telephone and screams through the helmet to Sikorsky to shut down the defense system's lasers. Oh, man. It just seems so weird. Like, you couldn't just, like, use a radio that you have somewhere, like, you know, your, your phone or something inside the yeah, ship. and says like. Yeah, I gotta go to this, you know, this, this this phone. Like, it just looks like a home phone. With a wire, with a cord. It's a corded phone. Yeah, it's a corded phone. And he goes to it and he goes like, Sikorsky, blah, blah, blah. And, but like, it looks so, the animation looks so weird. <laughs> Shut off those lasers, Sikorsky. <laughs> Sikorsky like, what'd you say? <laughs> and he's just, because remember, there's still blasting going on. So it's like, pew, 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 pew. So it's like. Gosh, Jack, the lighter, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's like, what are you saying? I cannot hear a thing you're saying. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's just like, there's a lot going on, but for some reason he thinks it's fine to talk through his helmet. Oh, man. So we cut to Sikorsky. He's, he's safe. He's in some control room somewhere. He says that the device knocked out the control override system. So basically... The, the device temporarily knocks out some things, permanently knocks out other things. The override system, well, it's somewhere in the middle. It takes 15 minutes to come back. Mm. So Ant-Man angrily hangs up the phone, shrinks down, hops into the tiny jet, and he flies into the base's air vents as guards now run onto the main floor to try to help out the Avengers. The Masters of Evil enter their ship and begin firing the lasers at the Avengers, who are now just sitting there hiding behind crates. Now... Back in the vents, Ant-Man begins to be chased and fired at by insect robots. I guess. There's really no explanation in this episode, but this is what I assume, is that they're security droids invented by Hank Pym because they're insectoid, they're little insectoid robots. I'm assuming, okay, this is like a security thing that Hank came up with, but they don't tell us that. Well, I don't know. It's like, again, it just seems like, uh, we may have put some, you know, something in here that's a little bit more, you know... Risky or dangerous. I guess. So while Ant-Man fights them off, Scarlet Witch and Wasp work on getting the uh, Quinjet up and running before Zemo's helicarrier can just crawl over to them. Why is it crawling and not flying? Or just, why why does it not just fire? 
Uh, so Ant-Man makes it over to a series of wires and just yanks on one, which I guess knocks out every laser in the building. The Quinjet powers up just in time to fire on Zemo's ship. And the Masters of Evil leave their ship again and go to fight the Avengers again. And again, the, the term Masters now is, is being used very, very loosely. The Fools of Evil. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like Hawkeye and Boomerang throw stuff at each other now. Again, Cardinal and Falcon fight. Again, there's more fights going on. Uh, Vision is phasing out, causing Moonstone and Dragonfly to hit each other. Cap and Zemo finally grapple. We finally actually get a physical fight here. The Wasp calls out that the Avengers, and really the episode itself, isn't getting anywhere. It's like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> as as Ant-Man struggles to fight Whirlwind, he calls to the other Avengers to change opponents. What? That'll never work. Will it? And I was laughing, as an X-Men fan, as, a, as someone that watched that cartoon, I'm like, I remember this is the same strategy used in the X-Men episode Cold Comfort, where the X-Men had to change opponents to defeat X-Factor. Mm. It's the same thing. Of course, the change of opponents works. Hawkeye fires a rope arrow at Dragonfly, pulling her off of Vision. Uh, why he couldn't just use one of those on Boomerang? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Zemo tries to stay on top of things and calls out orders to his team, but they refuse to listen to him because he tried to abandon them earlier, so they don't care what he has to say. But the two groups fight some more, including one moment where Whirlwind flies at Vision, but the Vision turns into stone, which is causing him to smash himself. Yeah. Can he do that? He can change his density. I remember that from the comics. Can he change the material? He, he like, appears as a statue? Again, all I remember is it's density. You know, like, he can make himself heavy and things like that. That's it. That's all I remember. But he never turned to stone? No, I, I think it's more like, I, I'm very heavy, but I look the same. No, what I'm wondering is, does, does Vision have a leaf to turn into uh, the Tanuki suit Vision that can also uh, change into the stone uh, statue? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's how it works. Okay. If the, if, I mean, that's how the, you know, in the Fantastic Four, that's how Johnny Storm lights up. He gets a fire flower, he's fire. The exact same thing. All right, so we get a disturbing moment where the Wasp now shrinks down and flies into Absorbing Man's ear and just starts blasting away with two laser guns. The old double barrel. And you can see the poor guy like, ah, like grabbing his head. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. he's getting the worst of it. Yeah, no kidding he is. I don't know if he lives. Well, he does, because we see him later. But come on, yeah. that's crazy. Scarlet Witch once again calls out her, I guess this is her catchphrase, Winds of Destiny change, and she blasts Tiger Shark, but this time it just traps him in an energy bubble, and she just kind of tosses him aside into some wooden crates. No oh. crates, my mortal enemy. I know, crates everywhere here. <laughs> that's what the show should have been called. Avengers, crates and lasers. Finally, the show that everyone's been waiting for. Everyone continues fighting. Baron Zemo tries to run away. Scarlet Witch offers to use her powers on him, but Cap wants him for himself. So Zemo tries to board the Quinjet. Cap breaks the stairs with his shield, sending him crashing to the ground. As Zemo runs away, Cap takes him out at the legs with another shield throw, making him trip into, you guessed it, wooden crates. As Zemo lies there now exhausted, Captain America walks over to him, declaring it over as we fade to black and possibly commercial, I don't know. Now when we return, we fade to the exterior of the base. The sun is out. This fight took all night? Maybe, was it? Yeah, it, it, I don't know. We go like night, day, night, day. Perhaps the events of this episode spanned at least two days. Which, okay, now I can understand the coffee thing. Okay, if I had to stay up for two days straight, sure. 
So we see a transport vehicle parked in front and the masters of evil are now being led into it single file with their hands tied up behind them. As they're being led off, they complain to Zemo about not getting the fortune they were promised. Zemo calls them fools and admits he would have promised them anything to help them take down Cap. And Absorbing Man points out, well, they're all going to be locked up together. So Zemo, you know, he probably should not be running his mouth like that. Oh, well, that's some good advice. (laughs) The, the vehicle takes the Masters of Evil away as the Avengers look on. Cap commends Ant-Man for saving everyone and adds that it only proves that making Ant-Man the leader of the Avengers was a wise choice. And then they shake hands. Yeah, there's a weird animation thing where, like, Cap changes shields. Well, changes hands for shields. Like, he's standing in front of uh, Ant-Man and he has a shield in his right hand, but then he swaps it over to his left hand and apparently <laughs> that's the most important thing they needed to animate. And here's the thing, if they're getting the animation right and, like, trying to really fix up the whole situation to be like, oh, yeah, he's, his shield needs to be in this hand because, you know, he's right-handed and he shakes hands with his right hand. Because the next scene that follows, right, is a shot of Cap's hand, but it's grey. <laughs> the, like, for some reason, the animation, like, they forgot to colour his hand. Like, he's wearing red gloves. Oh, nice. And so the scene beforehand has him swapping the shield over from his right arm to his left arm. Because it's a weird kind of audio thing. Like, doo, 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 doo. Yeah, they have his hands kind of touching it. And then, like, it swaps over to his hand going to shake Hank Pym's. And you think, oh, is this, like, a shading thing? Like, you know, is he in the, like, distance? Or are they in shaded? No, they're not. Because Hank Pym's hand comes in and it's colored correctly. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like they went to all this effort and, like, screwed up with Cap's apparently white... Gloved hand? Grey gloved hand? Yeah. That ends this part of the episode, but not the entire episode. We next cut to uh, a coastal junkyard on the outskirts of a big city. Uh, Zooming in on an old refinery building surrounded by rusty metal, we cut inside to see the villainous android Ultron watching the events of this episode on a wall of monitors. And uh, speaking to himself, Ultron pretty much recaps the plot of the episode as uh, clips are playing on the monitors. Again, who was filming this? I have no idea. Again, it's a videographer. He's just buying the tapes. I guess. Um, he's buying it from TMZ. But it's uh, it's funny that Ultron sounds like Dr. Claw. It's like, eh, I'll do this. And like, the problem is like, their design of Ultron is interesting because his mouth has like, a oscilloscope thing going on. Yeah, yeah. You know, I get he's a robot, but he has like the Windows Media Player <laughs> going on <laughs> going on his mouth. Which is funny. I mean, you know, I get like he's a robot, but the thing is it doesn't work because the next part he starts laughing. You know, it doesn't match. Like the whatever the oscilloscope is picking up, it doesn't really match. No, not at all. And it's funny you mentioned that. There's another example of a, a mouth not needing animation. So I wonder if that just made it easier to animate or easier for dubbing into other languages. Hmm. Most likely. So yeah, Ultron laughs about, it's time for me to pay the Avengers a visit. Like, you were just there. And so uh, Ultron laughs to himself. We slowly zoom in on his face and fade to black. And from here, we get the closing of the episode where on the right third of the screen, the credits roll. But on the left, we get still shots from other episodes of the series. And as that finishes, we end our episode. The worst Marvel cartoon ever made. (laughs) All right, so Hamish, what are your thoughts now upon watching Avengers United They Stand for this episode of the podcast? Uh, I've ruined my memories of this show. Uh, <laughs> because, yeah, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is great. But yeah, seeing the reality of it being terrible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I must have been, I, I was probably a stupid kid. A very, very stupid kid. <laughs> Something like that. But um, no, I mean, they tried. It's like they're really trying to keep a product going and really doing their best, I guess. With whatever they have, they're doing their best. 
Mm. Especially them trying to get other people into other characters from the Avengers. When you're a kid and you're just trying to, trying to sell toys, you don't really care. I mean, you know, I, I feel like it could have had a lot more work. Maybe better animation, but that's asking too much. Because again, I liked <laughs> I liked Spider-Man the Animated Series, and Series 1 is good, but yeah, the next series onwards became very cheap, and they started reusing animation and doing the same thing, where it's like, well, Spider-Man's mouth doesn't actually, you know, sync up, so don't, don't worry about it. There's no mouth in this. So just have him, like, talk, and we'll zoom in on his face, and we'll slow down the animation. Really up to yeah. us. Yeah, so that's basically what it kind of seems like. It's, just, you know, it's the best they had for Avengers. I mean, Avengers never, has never been completely perfect. Uh, but I would suggest if people want to see a pretty fun Avengers show, just watch Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Yeah, a lot of stuff that came out after the beginning of the MCU is good. You know, and they, they still continue to make Spider-Man series throughout the years. Uh, they really started to expand into more animation based on these Marvel properties. Much, much better. Unlike you, I did not watch this growing up. I really had no memories going into it. I'm glad I did not watch this growing up. This was absolutely dreadful. <laughs> I'm glad I watched it, but it's it's terrible. I can't believe it. You know, it's purely uh, a, a commercial. It's purely made to sell toys. And the animation is terrible. The dialogue is terrible. There's plenty of mistakes in it. I'm glad I have the X-Men series. That's, uh, to me, that's the gold standard. That show? Okay. If that's what the gold standard is, that's fine. Fine. As far as these 90s superhero cartoons go, that's that's it for me. My gold standard? Eon Flux. That's the gold standard. I mean, that's a, that's an impossible standard. I'm sorry. That show was just too good. That or um, Daria for making the <laughs> most of an a- animation, but, you know, making the most of dialogue, but with, like, more minimal animation. And, yeah, Daria was a well-animated show, but, like, again, m- most of the characters were having conversations. But the show was still interesting to look at. You know, and still mm-hmm. had a good good story going on. Eon Flux, on the other hand, is is a crazy wild adventure. If if you love that kind of show, I didn't expect our conversation to turn towards Daria. That's that was quite the surprise. But yeah, Daria is pretty good. Uh, the uh, I like the the smooth lines and the the solid colors and everything. It was I like the look of that show. Well, again, that's when I've been talking about animation because again, like. I'm, I'm elbowing in Daria because again like I was watching that at the same time as this because we had Daria repeats here in Australia and obviously when it came out too on ABC in the afternoons so that's that's co- the the comparison here I'm making this is like a Fox Kids TV show right yeah. and that's really pushing products but then you have Daria which wasn't really selling anything it wasn't really selling items or anything like that it was literally a, a show which you know had uh, you know, music from popular bands at the time and that's it. That's that's kind of standard because this was this, I saw the show in the morning, Avengers in the morning, and um, Daria probably in the afternoon. And so yeah, I mean that's the difference between these two kind of variations. One's doing the hard sell and going, it's all action, all adventure, and then Daria is basically like, here's a literally a realistic story about teenagers, which you can actually associate with a lot more than Avengers. <laughs> but again, it just it's a vastly different use of animation because Daria is more or less about an actual crafting characters and actual interesting plot that's re- relatable, and this is all about. Yeah, get the toys out there. All right, so that's our review. I say it stinks. Hamish says, watch Daria instead. And there you, there yep. you have it. There's our review of Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'll stick with that. Go watch Daria. No, that sounds good. Can't go wrong. All right, and that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, your battle armor sequences, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, Hamish, do you have anything you want to plug? Well, as the leader of the Hitting Play podcast, you know, uh, the, well, the real leader of this you know, entire situation. Hamish, what? you know, I think I'll uh, let you uh, plug your things now. Go ahead. 
Well, if you want to find me on the internet, you can find me at <laughs> Instagram Silent Hamish, uh, Twitter Silent Hamish, also a Facebook page which I got to update called Silent Hamish Art, which I should update. And I keep saying this. It's never going to become my catchphrase. I should update this. But then again, I think that gets more updates. Well, it gets less updates than um, Skype. <laughs> Skype, <laughs> Skype seems to surprise me with so many updates. I'm like, wow, the I'm overcome with these updates. I'm so overcome with these updates. I just never knew I needed so many. But yeah, you can find me out there on the internet. Very good. And uh, as the leader of this episode of the podcast, I should inform Boo. you that... It... <laughs> Excuse me? How dare you? <laughs> If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. Uh, for Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio and the Google Play Music app, so check us out on those platforms. And if you have a Roku device, you can download the TuneIn Radio channel, set hitting play as a favorite, and you can stream these episodes right through your television as they are released. Well, we have been Hamish and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Scott, uh, I got some information for you. Yes. I have to uh, leave this team. Uh, I'm joining another team. I'm joining the X-Men. And then I am also joining the Fantastic Four as well, just as another team member. Uh, I'm also joining Alpha Flight, uh, East Coast Avengers, West Coast Avengers, Secret Avengers. I'm also joining them as well. You didn't Is know about Gold that. Gold Coast Avengers? Yeah, not as much, but we'll work on that idea. Uh, we need superheroes for that Australian one. I'm also joining the Web Warriors as well, just as another team. I'm also joining X-Force, uh, so the New Mutants. I'm also joining Teen Titans. I know it's not uh, Marvel Red, but like they need another guy. I know I'm not a teen, but if I put on a squeaky voice, I can sound like a teen like this. <laughs> I'm a Teen Titan guy. Uh, I know there's a kind of a overlap with me and the Wolverine, but uh, I'll be joining multiple of these teams. If you're getting sick and tired of me joining these teams, don't worry. Everyone else is.